1: Hello friends and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring I'm Dan Sebastiano, joined as always by the BS Express himself Benny Scala, Benny how you doing buddy?
2: Dan I'm so excited, we're getting closer and closer to episode number 100 This is episode number 94 What I was thinking of doing was uh, buying a kazoo And for episodes number 95 through 99 Singing the final countdown uh, But then I thought I thought otherwise Because I want to have listeners <laughs> And
1: I don't know how Europe would feel you butchering their song, Benny. <laughs> well, you know, we always love to expand our horizons. And this conversation tonight is going to go in a little bit of a different direction. We're going to talk about something that's, you know, pretty popular. Like you always said, how it crossed over with with wrestling a lot. Uh, we've got somebody with a unique background. Why don't you tell everybody who's on the phone with
2: us tonight, well, Benny? Dan, anybody that's listened to this show knows that I have two loves. One is baseball and the other is wrestling. Well, and maybe there's a third one, which is uh, third world hookers. But a lot of people don't know that there was another passion that I had during the 70s, which was roller derby. I was as much into roller derby as I was into wrestling. And it, I'd say from I'd say from 70 to 73. So the gentleman we have on tonight it was active in both the, in roller derby and wrestling. I'm very excited to uh, interview this guest, Mr. James Fitz- Fitzpatrick. James, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring.
0: Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate this.
1: Well, again, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. We were chatting before we got started. I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun. And, and it's such a unique topic. I really look forward to some of the stories we're going to hear tonight. <laughs> we, uh, I want to get started. The the really First question, it's what we always open with. It's We always hear such unique stories uh, about it. But we're going to, a little variant today. We always go into uh, about the wrestling bug. But yours is going to be kind of a two-part one. Do you remember when the wrestling bug first bit you? When you said, hey, I'm a fan. What caught you? What got you into it? And then the flip side, (coughs) excuse me, the flip side is uh, when did you get interested in roller derby?
0: Okay, well, um, wrestling, it was actually about the same time. Uh, I was born in 59. So, in the right around 68, I got hooked on both of them. And, and uh, they were actually both on the local channel two, KTVU2. Um, and Walt Harris, who was the ringside announcer for wrestling, also did the announcing, the trackside announcer for roller derby. And he treated both like with real respect. I mean, over the years have been, you know, announcers that have kind of treated it more as a joke or they're more into themselves, but I think he added so much to it. But uh, initially Patterson, Pat Patterson was out here uh, wrestling with Ray Stevens. They're a tag team. They're the bad guys. And, and I was hooked. I mean, they had incredible talent. They're in their peak in their prime, those guys. Um, and it's it's sad that later, you know, Patterson became a stooge for McMahon and a lot of pe- the younger people remember him in that way. But I, I remember when he was selling out the Cow Palace and he was the U.S. champion or, or the world tag team champion. And, and for roller derby, I clearly remember to this day the exact day it was because um, I woke up as a Saturday morning and I was going to watch my cartoons and I turned him on and every station is airing Bobby Kennedy's funeral. And I have this vivid memory on our black and white TV scene in the back of the train carrying the casket. And finally, you know, it's getting later and later, and they go, well, no cartoons today. So I flip to Channel 2, and all of a sudden, there's this sport on uh, where they're on skates, they're on this bank track, and there's guys skating, a squad of guys, and then the girls get on the track, and the girls are skating the girls. And Joni Weston gets into a fight with Ann Calvello, and Calvello does something really nasty. And unfortunately they kicked Weston out instead. And I, I was hooked. And from that point forward, I mean, we we lived near Golden Gate Park, which is where they, they skated and filmed those games at Keys, our pavilion. And, um, you know, it didn't take long for me to say, when I grow up, I want to do this. But, um, you know, and, and, but then unfortunately, you know, fast forward so many years, uh, roller derby died. And, you know, it was long before the age of, uh, you know, information and the internet, so I had no clue what happened. Uh, I start high school, and the next uh, thing I know is the Bombers are back, but it's with Roller Games, this rival, more theatrical league. And that didn't last very long. But I was getting ready to graduate high school. And then all of a sudden, I see these ads and, and this thing on television showing that uh, the bombers are coming back and it's all roller derby skaters. And they're really stressing the fact roller derby, not some other you know, subpar league. And so um, that was my goal to skate. And to make a long story short, um, I fulfilled my dream, became a skater, traveled with them, traveled to Argentina, um and then injuries end, ended it for me and put me in a really bad spot but a uh, opportunity to referee came about and we signed a huge deal with some um, two rock promoters um back in buffalo harvey and Corky. and it turned out harvey was harvey weinstein of all things Oh, geez. and uh yeah so and he had already formed Miramax Pictures. So there was a lot of things in the works. There was going to be another roller derby movie themed movie that we were going to be in. Uh, there was a tour in Europe. Uh, we had Canadian investors for a Canadian team because roller derby used to tour in Canada. And things looked great. And then all of a sudden, unfortunately, we were, we were on ESPN. We bumped roller games off the rival league. And ESPN signs a deal with the NFL. And they drop us. And suddenly we went from uh, just shutting down for the holidays to uh, you know being being closed, and um, you know that put me in a really really bad spot. But fortunately, I was able to go on to a, another career, became a firefighter eventually. Uh, injuries ended that, and then uh, I put together a photo book, thinking this will finally close my chapter of roller derby and my you know my love for it. And it ended up leading to me becoming a, a, a coach and reviving the, uh, the bombers. And we drew great crowds. And then this insane guy that we, our owner signed a television deal with, um, make a long story short, he was laundering money and it, it, everything fell apart. And he ended up serving eight years in prison for uh, um, a biodiesel fuel scam that he scammed people, uh, elderly Christians out of their money uh, under the guise that they're going to be investing in uh, in Ghana, Africa, in bio, this uh, biodiesel fuel, and then he was using the money to launder, you know, through our games. And so then, you know, so that 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 came to an end, and then I went on to getting back into art and stuff. So I figured, whenever one door closed, luckily there was another door that opened for me, because s- sadly, so many of the wrestlers and skaters over the years, when their days of performing ended. Uh, things did not go well for them, and and they had a lot of issues and a lot a lot of tragedy. But uh, that's that's kind of my my brief story.
2: James, there's there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this who never have watched roller derby. Some of them might have like heard of it, and then there's people like me who you know, as a 14 year old kid, took took the train to uh, Madison Square Garden. Um, but roller derby has a very, very rich history dating back to the 1930s. So if you could maybe t- tell everybody where, how did it start back? It was it back in the depression days. And just maybe like through, through like maybe the, the, the seventies, uh, what, what all happened with roller derby?
0: Oh, sure. In fact, I have to backtrack a little bit before that because Leo Seltzer was the one that created roller derby. And prior to that, he was living in Oregon, and he was running a chain of movie theaters. And then he got into promoting what uh, dance marathons had evolved into what were now being called walkathons. And the reason for that was they were being banned in a lot of cities. I mean, there's cruel and unusual and low class and everything else. So they cl- kind of tried to clean up the uh, the walkathons with more rules and stuff, and, and make it more you know acceptable to society. So eventually, he ends up. Um, being the one running the uh, Chicago Coliseum. And he's he sees that that's kind of falling at the wayside, and he's trying to come up with some other events and things to promote for the Coliseum. And so he realizes how popular skating was, roller skating. And he borrows from these other events that are very popular too, but besides the walkathons, these other marathons, like the six-day bike races, which were on these uh, big elaborate bank tracks, and and other, uh, like, marathon-type events. And he puts together his first transcontinental roller derby event at the Coliseum, which was um, multiple weeks. And it was an endurance competition between uh, teams of two people, a guy and a girl. And they would take turns skating around this huge track that was probably about four times the size of uh, the the later tracks that people are familiar with. And um, it was basically to the point where the guy was ready to drop, he'd tag off, the girl would take over, and then they would have intermissions and times where they would do other type of performances, you know, to earn a little bit extra money that the fans would throw to them, which was something that also took place during the walkathons. And something that I did in my research, when I put together my book, was a lot of people don't realize this, but the walkathons, many of them, were rigged. And even the contestants competing in them had no clue but there were certain ringers that were real professional athletes, real professional dancers that would travel with the groups. And there was pretty much, they were guaranteed the win. It would be like throwing in a Harlem Globetrotter against, you know, some kid that thinks he's good at basketball, where the Globetrotter could, you know, pretend he's not good and just, you know, just blow the guy away. So... That's what they incorporated into the original roller derby from day one. There was always some theatrics to it, but not everybody was on the end. Some people were just, you know, they were struggling just, just to, to skate. So it was kind of interesting to see. But eventually it evolved into the context for, that we're more familiar with. But the one who helped with that was uh, Damon Runyon, a famous sports writer. Yes. And he also write, wrote, wrote Guys and Dolls and stuff. But he was also, I found out, Al Capone's press agent. And the, <laughs> the other, wow! And the, yeah, the other interesting thing was, uh, a guy came into the Coliseum because they're in Chicago. In Chicago at that time, especially with you know Capone's mob, the, the Chicago outfit, a lot of the businesses were basically pressured into you know you've got to give us a kickback and we'll kind of protect yeah. you, or yeah, or things won't you know go bad for you. So a guy came into the Coliseum, Sid Cohen, with a bomb under his hat, and he was gonna blow up the bathroom as a scare tactic because Seltzer didn't wanna pay for for the mob support. And uh, I guess he ran into Seltzer prior to doing that. They had a nice conversation and they kind of worked things out and he actually became a road agent for him (laughs) for years up until uh, uh, right around 1960. Uh, But he kind of, got in through through the, uh, the the threat, but then they actually supposedly became friends according to, to Jerry, you know, uh, to Leo Seltzer's son who took over. But also unbeknownst to a lot of people was, Seltzer had a silent partner, which was a guy named Fred Morelli, and he and Morelli ended up buying the Chicago Coliseum at one point, and also a roller rink, the Arcadia, where they would recruit skaters out of. And Morelli later, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but Morelli later was the guy that killed roller derby. Seltzer for years lied about it where he, well, not totally lied. Roller derby fell into bad times in, in the early 70s because of a skater strike, primarily with the black skaters, started by Bob Woodbury, one of the top stars. And also at that time, then suddenly the gas crisis hit and they were traveling the country by car two to three people per car. And so they were having trouble getting fuel. They had the odd even rationing and everything else. And then arenas during winter time on the winter tour, some of them weren't paying, you know, because of the fuel shortage, they weren't paying for, uh, to heat their, their venues. So venues were closing down. So there's a lot of things going on. But around this time, Morelli was dying and he wanted to to help his family out financially set them up so he wanted to call in his money from his partnership with jerry's dad leo and um the legal fees were what basically you know ended up k- killing things and so seltzer had to shut down and uh, and there was actually another thing too which was a fiasco shade stadium which had the huge wrestling outdoor wrestling event In uh, 73, they had a huge triple header championship, match races, everything. The whole work set up, almost like their WrestleMania, for their big payday. And they were expecting a humongous crowd. And the year prior, Seltzer did an event in Chicago at Comiskey Park that drew over 50,000 people. But he kind of never really said much about what the full deal was with that. It was an interleague game with his rival league roller games, Bill Griffiths. So it was the pioneers from roller derby against the Thunderbirds from roller games. So he split that whole whole deal. But this time in 73, he's gonna have this huge, huge event. It's all roller derby and he's gonna make a killing. He's gonna surpass that record. And about a week and a half before the event, He's up to almost about 30,000 tickets sold. And then a few days later, he's on the road. He calls in the ticket company, Ticketmaster, and asks, you know, how are things going? And not a single ticket sold. And it's like, what the hell happened? And well, our computers went down. And it's like, you didn't tell me for days. I could have hit the newspapers. I could have hit the radios, television, and promoted the fact that, you know, tickets are still available. And he was livid, and that that event, even though they they drew about 35,000, that that event was supposed to have uh, topped the 50-plus thousand, and and that that really pissed him off. So after he shut Roller Derby down, he and his attorney ended up forming Bass Tickets, Bay Area Seating Service, and they ended up putting Ticketmaster out of business, so that was payback. (laughs) But... uh, yeah, If there's anything else you want me to go in, I don't want to get too carried away into one topic or not. It's it's up to you guys what you want me to focus on.
1: <clears throat> no, that, that's <clears throat> the kind of stories we like here. I mean, the the style we always go for is more just a couple guys sitting, you know, guys and girls sitting around having a beer as opposed to like a formal interview. You must hit this point and this point and this question or whatever. So, you know, whatever, whatever comes and goes, that's <clears throat> half the fun. Oh, okay. But, okay. um, well, well, no, go ahead.
0: Okay. Well, what happened was then, uh, going into the end of November, normally roller derby would shut down the mid- middle of December for the holidays, and then the skaters would go back home, and then they would return back east and finish out their road tour in until about March of, of the, the following year. Then they would all come back out to the Bay Area and start the West Coast season. So they're getting ready to shut down uh, roller derby for holidays in a few weeks. But because of the lawsuit and everything going on and, and uh, business was way down, he was doing a lot more interleague games with the rival league uh, because he, lo- he had lost some of the, sk- the, the, the talent because of the strike. Uh, it got to the point where he realized, he goes, I-, I just can't keep, I can't sustain this any longer. And so as a complete shock to the skaters, they're back East. He sent uh, the Bombers and uh, the Jolts, the other two teams home for the holidays early, a couple of weeks early. And he flew back there and he met with the New York Chiefs and the Chicago Pioneers that were still on the road. And he told Charlie O'Connell, the main star of the Bombers to remain back here. And I'll put you on the, uh, On the on the pioneers as as like an added attraction, you know, just like they do for wrestling, sometimes they'll bring in some big name, you know, as as an added draw. And so he sits down with the skaters ahead of the game and tells them, you know, as you as you know roller derby, it is going to cease to exist after this. And what he did was he worked out a deal quickly with Griffiths, the rival league which he always claimed, I looked out for all my skaters, so they all had jobs afterwards. And that was BS. A lot of the younger skaters or some of the older skaters were out of the job. And the same with Griffith's people, some of his older skaters and their skaters were out of the job. And, And Griffiths, the rival league kept his top talent and absorbed Seltzer's top talent and some of Seltzer's young upcoming stars. And so that's where roller derby gets real confusing because then people would see the next year. Well, now they're skating a more theatrical version of this game, but it's still the bombers. And I still see O'Connell. I still see Weston. And, and uh, it, it was a disaster. Uh, skaters hated the other style of game. The majority of, of uh, roller derby skaters quit within the first month. Some stuck, stuck it out a little bit longer. Some of the younger ones, cause you know, they weren't really that educated. They didn't have a, another job to turn to. And they liked the fact that they could travel and be on television. But it, it, that league just fell apart uh, in a matter of a few months. And the, the crowds went from the garden from being sellouts. Uh, one of the referees told me each time they went back, it went from 20,000, the next time back it was cut in half, 10,000, the next time it's 5,000, the next time. And then and it, just, it just killed it. And then all of a sudden came this whirlwind of everybody wanted to start a league. Some people that were business people thought that they knew how to do it. They'd start a league and some of the old skaters felt that, you know, that they, they could start their league and then that way also that they could be the star of the league because it's their league. And uh, it was kind of a, a disaster, uh, a lot of that, a lot of them. Um, and then in 76, out here, Run Jones, who was a famous star with the Bombers back in the 50s, uh, was working with the Raiders, he, uh, Oakland Raiders. He was uh, um, like the equipment manager. And so uh, he would help with uh, these uh, events, uh, what do you call it, um, charity events. And so he said, well, how about a roller derby event as a charity event? So they put on an, an exhibition game. The place was packed. And you knew what was coming. The next thing was, we're going to reorganize this and we're going to bring roller derby back the right way. And so Charlie O'Connell, the top star, Mike Gammon, another top star, Don Drury, who was an announcer for the New York Chiefs, and then a young guy, David Lipschultz, who's, who had, his family had a lot of money, they got together and they started up the International Roller Skating League. And Seltzer did not like that at all. He wouldn't allow them to use the name Roller Derby because it was trademarked. Uh, but he didn't mind making money off of them. So Bass Tickets sold tickets to the games. <laughs> and then that's around the time when I was getting ready to graduate high school. And so then I I got into it. I, I trained. I started out as a track crew member, setting up the tracks, taking them down after the games. And then uh, you know uh, eventually I made a team.
1: Nice. Well, you know, expanding there, there's, there's so many similarities between uh, dirt. Benny and I were talking about this before we, you called in between uh, roller derby and wrestling. I mean, other than the physicality and a lot of the crossover fan base, there's clear heels, clear faces, you know, except in the case of roller derby, you might have an entire team that's the heel and the entire team. That's the fan favorites. It's kind of like fighting stables. Right. And, um, you know, can you tell, kind of expand for the for the listeners out there, uh, how you think wrestling and roller derby are alike and anything that, that is very different that we might not think of?
0: Oh, sure, sure. Um, well, as far as similarities, we, we never used the term kayfabe in roller derby, but that's basically what we practiced. And in fact, that was actually what I was going to start out with by, by, by mentioning from, from the very beginning, but I, I didn't, was I'd never have this conversation and divulge all of this stuff to you guys if this was back in the day or if it was still going and I was a part of it. I, I loved the fact that wrestling back in the day was kayfabe. I loved it. It was kayfabe for roller derby. Roller games was very different. Like I said, more theatrical but I was kind of surprised when somebody told me when they were a kid, they were a huge fan. They finally got permission from their, their father to, you know, to sign the release so they could train, they show up for training. And the first thing their roller games trainer told them was it's a show. And the person said, when they got up to the car, the father was waiting. How, how was practice? They go like, I'm never coming back again. It's fake. And, um, yeah, we we were never when I got into it, we were never told that it was it was fake, it was set or or anything. And and the the interesting thing was, some depending on who the player coach was, uh, a new kid would be called up, let's say to skate because so and so broke broke their arm or whatever, so that they're filling in for that person. They'd show up that night. Nobody would say a word that the game was staged or set. Uh, the person would come on the infield. They'd start to huddle up. The, the, the new kid would come over to the huddle and, and the coach player coach would look at him and say, go over, sit on the other end of the bench or coach the girls, you know, basically like stand up there and yell at the girls support. And some of them would skate for months, you know, and at that point, just like wrestling, you know, where they would wrestle night after night after night. It was a, basically that was with, with roller derby. You're skating five, six nights a week. And, um, a lot of times then, uh, if they actually got in the way of a set play that they didn't know was set, they'd get their bell rung. And if they jumped into a fight, you know, thinking that, you know, they're going to help their teammate, you know, the other team would beat the crap out of them and their team would basically back off. And it's like, you know, well, you know, Hey, this is the (laughs) dues. So it, it, uh, it was interesting. So, but yeah, so they both had the kayfabe going um and there's also that whole thing about um which you, you know when on with goes on with wrestling too you know the, if they don't like somebody or whatever there's always that intimidating thing that they'll do with between the skaters or or the wrestlers where you know they'll intimidate the new person coming in uh mess with them do all sorts of things to them uh hate whatever you want to call it hazing or just
2: yeah that's that what the, i was thinking of yeah
0: yeah yeah or just <laughs> plain cruelty Um, And the other thing is, um, you know, there wasn't very many sports. In fact, if you look at it, it was basically just roller derby and wrestling where you had the women. uh, It's different now with women's basketball. But, I mean, as a professional sporting event where you had women competing in in a very, uh, you know, physical sport also. And, um, you know, and the, the thing was also... For both to uh, entice people back to build rivalries or grudges, like in wrestling, you'd have to maybe lead up to the, you know, the outside interference, and now they're going to fight in the cage, or you know, we're going to have it for the person that can keep running away. We're going to have a, a lumberjack match or a strap match, stuff like that, where they would keep building the feud. And with roller derby, they would do stuff like that, too, where they might have the two top skaters where, okay, you're going to have a match race at halftime. It's going to be a speed race. Or next time it's going to be illegal blocking. Or next time it's going to be anything goes. Or um, they, I mean, they even had a just like with wrestling. They we even had a, a death match where it was Infield cleared of everything, no rules uh, except for the fact that you know whoever crossed the the the, the line after five laps was the winner. And uh, it, it, that one was, was wild. Um, and then also the similarities were the the insane. Uh, travel schedules that that they put people through and and uh they used to make fun of seltzer where they said uh it looked like he stood at a map and just threw darts because one night they're in the the northwest the next night they're they're heading down towards texas the next next night they're in california the next night they're in chicago like they're all over the place and it's like you know sometimes they didn't understand unfortunately you have to go with buildings availability but also, you got to kind of look out for the skaters, because I mean, you know, or the wrestlers, because it's like if they're banged up and stuff, you know, you got to kind of give them breaks at times. Um, and then the other thing that was so, so interesting, we went back one, one time and the, the night before our big game, we we're at a high school gym that Vince McMahon used to film at. It was in, um, I think it was Scranton or whatever, but um, it was a Catholic school gym, and he used to hold events there. And the very next night, we go from a high school gym. We're in Madison Square Garden, and it said that same thing with wrestling because it's like you know you you suffer through these small venues or or you know fairgrounds and this and that, and then you know and then the next night you're 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 there. You're doing it at the the major arena. Um, and then the other thing is, television for both of them was was, was key, and that's what hurt a lot of these attempted revivals for roller derby where they just didn't have the money or the exposure on television and and with television you know getting the thing on on a regular basis that's where you build your fan base that's where people you know start to have the you know you know they start developing fans you know for this wrestler or that wrestler or this skater or that skater so so that that's something you know that's uh very similar too
2: um
0: And as far as, as far as differences, um, you know, both have a a portable, if you want to call it like field of play or whatever, you know, the wrestling has, has the ring that's portable, but the portable bank track could be a real nightmare, especially for the, uh, for the later startup leagues. Back in the day, the, the skaters were paid extra to set up the track. You had eight people were trained on it they were very professional in setting it up and taking it down three hours up hour and a half down but later you were using all sorts of people that didn't know what they were doing and the tracks were getting all beat up and stuff and we we had one setup that took 10 hours to set up he was using people off the street street to help set up and it was it was was a nightmare but um so, so that that was one of the big differences the the bank track because of its size limited where, where we could, uh, you know, s- some buildings didn't want us in because they were worried the track is going to damage the floor or it was just, you know, too large. There was poles in the way or something like that. So I was always kind of jealous of the fact that, you know, for wrestling, it's like, wow, the, the ring is so much easier to set up. <laughs> uh, that, that was one of the, one of the big differences. Um, and then um, let's see, there's, I have a few notes here in case, in case I forgot. Oh, well, well, the other huge thing is, um, I mean, wrestling always played off of characters. Like you had the, a Nazi or a cowboy or a giant or, or a midget. And with roller derby, that that luckily never happened because, you know, I enjoyed it with wrestling. But it's, if you you had a whole team filled with all these different characters, a chic and a cowboy, it, it just it would look like a, a circus act on skates. <laughs>
2: Sure. So, uh, James, they a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. You know, one thing that they did have in common, both wrestling and the derby, is they're both cyclical. And, uh, you know, everybody uh, credits Vince McMahon for putting wrestling on the national stage. But in reality, uh, Buddy Rogers and uh, Pat O'Connor drew 38,000 people at Comiskey Park in 1961, way before Vince McMahon bought the WWF from his dad. And even, and Bruno, you know, Bruno sold out Madison Square Garden for years. And um, Derby was more of the same thing. They, you know, I guess they drew drew 50, I think you mentioned it earlier. They drew 50,000 people at Comiskey Park in 72. And then, you know, the the only sporting event that I uh, ever attended at Madison Square Garden was the Derby. It was on March 22nd, 1970. It was the Bombers and the Pioneers. And I think at that time, uh, they set it an all-time indoor record at 15874 uh, Now, the Derby at that point was was regularly selling at MSG, the Cow Palace, and a lot of other arenas. What happened, like, right around 1970 that caused it to take off like that? Well, I, actually, uh,
0: in the Bay Area, it really started built build in the early 60s. A- a- and what really led to that was uh, prior to that, they were using kinescope. And the quality for the television was, was really bad. And so trying to syndicate that stuff, you know, it's like hard to watch. And then all, all along, all of a sudden came uh, the videotape and the quality was so much better. And there was an advertiser up in Oregon that uh, sold used cars. And he wanted to, uh, kind of like for an info commercial type of thing, he wanted to run his ads during um, a roller derby game because he's a roller derby fan. And he came up with that idea. So he contacted Seltzer. So Seltzer sent up a videotape there. The guy paid to have it on television. And he, he, he said, it just, I mean, people, it's not like now with the internet, you know, emailing back and forth, but he said they were deluged with hundreds and hundreds of fan of mail people writing, you know, when are you going to bring the bombers up here? We want, we we, we want to see this live. So they did an experimental game and, and they, the, they just sold out and seltzer goes wait a minute this formula could work everywhere so it 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 was basically almost like on one hand like the harlem globetrotters where you'd see them come out once a year so if they came once a year to the garden or somewhere it's like wow we love this stuff it's sold out but the advantage over the globetrotters was they got it on television. So now you have a whole year of hyping it, building it, building it, and getting people to get hooked on it. And, Oh, I'm, I'm a fan of the, you know, the, the, the new rookie on the team, or, you know, I love Joni Weston or whatever. And so by the time you come, I mean, you know, you're, you're turning away people. And so that, that's how it developed during the sixties and it kept growing and growing and growing. And then Seltzer did a re- really weird thing. Um, he, when did they come up with this thing where, well, if this formula is working so great with the Bombers as a home team, wherever they play, like the Globetrotters, because I want to establish other home teams. And in a regular sport, I can see that. But in roller derby or like wrestling, where it's good and bad, it's kind of like back then you could get away with it because it wasn't on national television. But he said, yeah, these isolated pockets. But if it, suddenly, if it went national, it would be like, well, this doesn't make sense. The bombers are the good guys. But now they're skating here. They're the bad guys. You know, so it was one, it was one of those things. So I guess he wasn't thinking it completely through that, you know, what if this thing goes national? So but, but he, so he ended up um, he split the bombers into two travel units when he went on the road, a San Francisco Bay Bombers unit and an Oakland Bay Bombers unit. And Charlie O'Connell, the big star was on the one and Johnny Weston, the big star was on the other. And they would like go around the country and and um, that way he could do more venues with the bombers and, and experiment and then he saw how well that went. So then he said, okay, well now I am gonna kick this plan into place. So he, he established the uh, Chicago Pioneers as a home team in the Midwest. He established the New York Chiefs as a home team in New York. And he established another team that kind of didn't uh, do as well. The Eagles, so they they kind of disappeared. And uh, and then the re- the Red Devils were always the the, the red shirt team. And um, things were going great, except that's when the gas shortage hit. And that's also when um, the skaters always wanted to skate full time, but it's kind of like also, well, be careful what you wish for because then they're suddenly going. This is too freaking grueling. <laughs> you know we're skating six nights a week we're traveling all over the country you know and and uh give us a break and give us more money and so that's what kind of like like led to the strike but 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 that's how it kind of built it really it really built through the 60s in the bay area and and um you know on on the road trips when he was seeing that he was just constantly getting sellout after sellout and then and then that's when he finally established in the it was the road trip of seven, the Eastern trip in 71 was when he actually then brought the uh, New York Chiefs as the home team to New
2: York. How did they travel like in a big giant caravan? Like when, you know, when the bombers would go to Chicago or wherever else, wasn't there a team in uh, the the jolters? I remember what was, was that, am I, am I remembering them correctly?
0: Yeah. In in the fifties, there were the Jersey jolters. Uh, and then uh, when they, he did this expansion, he gave them a home base in like the Cincinnati, Ohio area. They had a really large area. And they said that, the, that there were certain venues they drew really well in, but it was just so spaced out. Like, like in the Bay Area, it was great. All, all these venues were pretty much short, short rides. San Jose, Sacramento, Oakland, San Francisco, Santa Cruz. There were shorter rides, and you know you didn't have the the the, uh, the wild winters to, to deal with. You know you had the nice the nice weather out here, uh, but but um, um, what was I going to say? Oh, the the, yeah, the traveling. Well, the interesting thing about that was in 1937, up and from the very beginning, uh, after the successful first uh, uh, you know event, and it, as it evolves into this sport that we're more familiar with. They all traveled by bus at first. And then in 1937, the bus is going across a bridge, uh, blows a tire, hits this embankment or whatever, crashes, bus catches on fire, and almost everybody in the bus, including uh, there was like a little kid that was, the, the I think, the daughter or the son of, of one of the, uh, the staff members, burns to death.
2: Wow. And
0: mm. at that point almost it almost killed roller derby and from that point forward there was always this superstition because these husband and wife that became a star um, they had they were being given extra money so they finally bought a car because you know they were married they wanted more privacy so they were you know in the car traveling and they missed that bus crash and from that point forward the skaters did not want to travel by bus Roller game skaters—they—they they did a lot of their travel by bus. There were occasions where they would travel together, you know, on an airplane, uh, if depending on if they flew to Hawaii or somewhere else. But but for the most part, uh, everybody traveled by car, and it was normally two to three people per car. And it was kind of like a fine science. Like like Joni Weston, she, she brought her dog with her, and and she had like a, one of the new girls or two of the new girls with her. She was kind of like the motherly type to the overlook you know watch out for the kids, and so she liked to bring her station wagon and travel other other people what they would do is is uh, they were given a credit card and they they would rent a car and they would be be together and um but yeah there, there was some pretty pretty Crazy stories where I heard like one poor guy, he's he's stuck in the back of the car, and they had a, a the people driving the car. They had a, a a pet dog and a pet cat, and he's trying to sleep. Every time he'd wake up, he, either the dog is looking at him in the face or the cat is, and he's allergic <laughs> to the cat.
1: <laughs> That's funny. You yeah. You, you know, you mentioned you were talking to the seventy one, seventy two. I mean, just as quickly as roller derby took off, it really kind of plummeted back to earth and by, was it 70, 1973, the international roller derby league was out of business. You you kind of talked about that earlier, the, the, the fall, I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit um, about why everything you were talking about with, with the roller international roller derby league going out of business, why it happened so quickly.
0: Well, yes. You see, the, the thing is, I guess since we're older, I think that that's why maybe we're a little bit more worried about certain things that are going on these days, too, with this whole thing, with with the price of gasoline and everything else. And, and so back then, you know, things were going good, and then suddenly there, there's the oil embargo. And so right away, they kicked in this thing where it was odd, even rationing. So if you had a license plate that ended in an odd number, you could only get Gas on odd days, and you know, then even number for the even days, and so with everybody in cars driving, and then plus the the semi truck that would that would pack the portable track and and go from town to town, and you know, it, it became a real nightmare, and you know, and then also um, you know the the player strike was was pretty devastating. They, they timed it perfect, uh, thinking that they would it would work out to their benefit, and they'd they'd get a big pay increase along with other things. But uh, what had happened was the West Coast season had just ended in September, the championships. They were gonna have a few weeks off and then they were gonna hit the road and head back East. So that's when they picked their time uh, for the strike. And the the, uh, the A's had just won the World Series. So the day of the World Series, they went on picket outside the Kaiser Convention Center, which was the big building that uh, Seltzer had his headquarters in. And so they said Joni Weston, Seltzer, and some of the, the big people are upstairs looking down, and here's these skaters on, on roller skates with handmade flyers handing them out to the public as the parade is going by. And it's like the people that could care less, you know, who the hell are you people handing out flyers on skates? They're waving at the, you know, the A's, hey, we're the world champions, and one of them skates up to the uh, to the, uh, I guess, the big Cadillac or whatever with the convertible with with uh, Charlie Finley, the owner of the uh, the oh, A's nice, waving yeah. at the fan. You want to buy roller derby? <laughs> so so uh, uh, Seltzer called their bluff. He had a meeting. He gathered up all the skaters. He called their bluff. He said, I have enough skaters to go on this road trip. And he, and he seriously sure w- wasn't sure if he would or not. And he said, so you either sign up you know, renew your contract and sign up, or you know your your your, your history, and so a f- select few stood their ground, you know, and uh, and and didn't and 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 quit, and a couple of them that he thought were the instigators, he just didn't give them the option to uh, to return. So so that that hurt. I mean, so morale is hurting. You got the the travel issues. Um, and um, missing some of the talent too. Now that quit, he starts booking more games with the uh, the rival league, and the fans didn't like that. It's like this, this is come on, we, we we think your thing is real, or a lot of it looks real. We're not kind of you know we're not totally sure, but that other stuff is is silly. And so uh, he later admitted that you know that was a mistake on his part by 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 doing that. But but that also hurt. Uh, but, but, but the main thing was, was the lawsuit with, with uh, Morelli, the, the mob guy calling calling in his money, um, you know, because the, his, his original business deals with uh, Jerry Seltzer's dad had never really been, uh, you know, um, finalized and, and, and ended. So, um, um, you know, that, that uh, the legal fees were what were, were killed it. And, and see, Jerry always relied on the road trips making his money, uh, making the big monies off of the sellouts to, to uh, get him set now for, for, the, for the next year, you know, uh, filming the, all the home games and, and the next season. And, and, oh, and also, which was unbeknownst to a lot of people, Channel 2, which was the big staple station in the Bay Area for roller derby, they had a change in management, and the new guy did not like roller derby. He wanted to change the whole programming around. And so they were going to lose their their, their main station. They they're on that station twice a week, once showing the live games on Sunday, and and with a repeat on Saturday at noon. And so unfortunately, it was it was just too many. Uh, and, and Jerry was going through a divorce, so it was it was just too many too many blows coming in all at once. If if they had come in at different times, I think he would have weathered the storms each and every one of them. But they all came together, and, and the biggest expense was the, was the lawsuit.
2: James, my growing up, uh, I absolutely loved Charlie O'Connell. You know, to me, he yeah. was like half Babe Ruth, half Bruno San Martino, number forty on the Bombers. Um, what what made him uh, such a fan favorite? I mean, he and he played for such a long time. What was it? What was so special about Charlie? You sent me a a video uh, during the week of uh, some of his fights. I mean, you talk yeah. about talk about intensity. That guy had it.
0: Well, and, and, and not not to put rushing down at all, but if you look at him punching, he's punching. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, there was a few guys that loved they loved to fight legit, and they looked for every opportunity to fight legit. And and um, part part of it was, I mean, well, a lot of it was he he was just an incredible incredibly talented person. Um, if but also the thing is, the videos that I sent you, if you look at it, here, has those arm braces on. He is so riddled and racked with injuries at that point. He had so many broken wrists and broken forearms that the doctors were warning him, if you don't wear the, the braces, um, you're, you're going to lose movement in your arms. And so if you could just imagine what he was like in the 60s, especially when he was in his prime, he was younger, he was healthy. Uh, he, he was just unbelievable. And, and there's some pictures of him from the early uh, 60s that I have and, and late 50s. And he has the James Dean hairstyle and he's like in his early 20s and the women just loved him. And, and a lot of people don't realize Ann Calvella was the big heel. Well, see, that's the thing. Wrestling, it's a, a heel or a baby face. Roller derby was red shirt or white shirt and the white shirts were the home team. So Calvella was was the big red shirt skater.
2: She and, had the pur- purple uh, hair, right? Yeah.
0: Well, the funny thing is how that all came about was the old, old, larger bank tracks, when she first broke in, were painted this dark green color. And when they would put powder on the track, um, because they would get too slick sometimes, if, you know, either their drink got spilled on them or, you know, somebody's really sweaty or whatever, they'd put this powder on them. And so they had wooden wheels, and it would constantly, uh, the the paint would flake off and the powder and everything. And the people in the first few rows would always leave the building, and they'd always say, well, look, they have green hair or or, or whatever. uh, They must have come from the roller derby. And Calvello finally said, she goes, well, you know what, since we're leaving the track with green hair, she goes, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to color coordinate my hair to go with my uniform." So that's how it all started. But that was also a a big problem because a lot of the buildings didn't like that mess. And that's why when, uh, that was another reason for the rise in the 60s. uh, Seltzer Jerry took over from his dad and he had a lot of new ideas he wanted to incorporate. So he said, I'm gonna go into more venues. The only way I can do that is if I make the track smaller. And once he made the track smaller, that opened it up for the for uh the one-nighters where he could go to a different town every night the older tracks were so large and and cumbersome they would take days to set up and they might stay in one venue for like a month and and it was almost like one of those things where you know okay well you know the first few weeks you know crowds are great but now after so much time the same venue crowds are starting to drop okay well, let's pack up move on to another greener pasture so that that was the old days but with, with the newer shorter tracks they were more portable you know it was basically the the length of a basketball court it was 50 by 90 so now you could go into places like Keysar pavilion which was a basketball you know uh court and, and and put on games so so that was another advantage but but uh, uh, getting back to Charlie, I mean, he was just he was just such a natural. Everything came so easy for him, um, and he he had very different ways. He he wanted the girls to be dropped. He wanted it to be guys only, and he wanted it to, to be legit. And there were a couple of attempts back in the fifties, the well, actually the the, the late forties when they first got on television, and and in fifty eight to do legitimate. In the late 40s, they tried to do it during a playoff game, and it was, it was a mess. The skaters were scared to death of it because they said, you know, it's going to be so one-sided, so lopsided, and that's what it was. So they, they did away with that. In the late 50s, they tried it again. They tried to do an entire season back east as an experiment, totally legitimate. And they said the games were so lopsided, they lost most of the crowd, And the remaining crowd, they said they could hear him chanting, phony, phony, because O'Connell was like scoring every play or or Ralphie Valadares, who later went to roller games. He was on the Bombers at that point. He was so talented, too, that the Bombers just, you know, you you just couldn't you couldn't beat them. And so when Jerry took over, he he realized that he said, I'll never I'll never do it i'll try and make it look as real as possible but i'm never going to make that mistake again that that's actually what killed new york for years and then finally with with these road tours and and going into the garden one one time a year and and seeing the crowds coming back and seeing the the quality of game so entertaining that's that's when the garden got super interested in it it again so it's a a double-edged sword you know it'd be nice to see it real but uh (laughs) it's it almost killed their business
1: <laughs> well that was uh they they were they were the uh the ver of roller derby benny they just would, wouldn't let anybody go over on them that's right
0: well, well you, you know this, this is kind of interesting we, back in 93 um i had finally recovered I'm, I'm working in the fire department as a fire inspector and um they have a japanese guy that used to skate roller games He was like a 15-year-old sensation. His his dad was Hiroshi Koizumi, same name, that was in the Godzilla movies. And his son was doing these little child acting parts and and was in all the fan magazines in Japan. Roller Games hits Japan, becomes a huge success, so big that they established a Japanese team called the Tokyo Bombers. And he becomes a 15-year-old star in it travels around the country then roller games you know after they absorbed roller derby and that fell apart he he loses his his dream so he tries for years to revitalize it and he starts out in a roller rink padded up like hockey players shoulder pads skating legit guys only but he realizes that if you roller derby is so different than other sports it's the only sport where you're on offense and defense at the same time. Both teams can score with their jammers, the, the scorers, at the same time, but you can also be on defense at the same time. So like in football, if, it, if it's a horrible game and one team blows out the other team, it might be 56-7. to seven. But if that team was also on offense every team, every play, the, the, the score could be over 100. And that's the mistake the roller girls make. They want to skate totally legitimate, and I saw that there was a tournament where girls went over to Europe and skated, and I am not kidding. They, they, one team lost by about 400 points. Wow. Holy one, crap. Yeah, they, they could not score. The other team scored and scored, and they're all excited, and it's like, wait a minute. Step back. Look in. You're, you're not doing this any justice. You know, people don't want to see that garbage. They want to see something that's competitive. So, so what Hiroshi did was leading up to this big tournament, us versus Japan that that I competed in. He realized that he's got to do something. He wanted it to be legit. He's got to do something and change the rules. So he changed it to one team was on offense at a time, only one jammer, but, um, He would have it where the pack would get formed, they'd skate around, they'd blow the whistle, and the jammer would instantly drop down from the rail and was in scoring position. Because we all know that what we learned was if one team is so good at blocking and defending, the other team will never get a jammer out. If they can't get a jammer out, they're never going to score. So he realized that if I'm going to skate legitimate, I want to have it where the jammer is already at the rear of the pack ready to score. And then, and then he had it also where it was set up where it was like a tennis match where they skated sets. So even though you might get blown out points, you know you're down just by one set. And so we we were we went over there to skate a legit version, a shoot version of roller derby in Japan called roller game, not roller games plural, but roller game. And it was Japan versus U.S. And we skated a series, and we blew them out so bad, even with the rule changes, um, that he had a major meeting. He called us in and he asked, can you hold back on the remaining games?" And so um, they were semi-legit and we did it in a way to let them keep the score close because he said i'm going to lose my sponsors i'm vying for an opportunity to get this back on television we're going to make this big they had their version of espn come down to film and we thought that this is going to be where roller derby should go this is going to look like a legit sport people were wearing shoulder pads uh you actually had a protective helmet and this is going to be something big and unfortunately the uh they loved the concept except for one thing they said where are the, the sponsors where are the girls <laughs> they wanted the girls involved and he didn't have enough girls at that time and um but but but, but it, it was interesting because i actually saw his rules and our, our people were like ah you shouldn't change the rules but i go i i understood exactly what he was doing he was trying to do whatever he could because if you do it legitimate and one team is so dominant just like when O'Connell and them skated that legitimate season they you would just blow the other team out and it's it's people aren't going to watch a, a game where you lose you lose by 70 80 points or even 30 points and um so that that's why he altered the rules uh, but it was just one of those issues he didn't have enough girls at that time and now the girls are everywhere but they're not doing it right <laughs>
1: Benny, as we, uh, as we wrap up tonight, I'll give you the last question. What are you thinking?
2: Well, I, I, we didn't cover anywhere near what we wanted to, but I do want to ask James or I want to uh, tell James that I looked on his website and the, between the artwork and the pictures, I mean, it, it's phenomenal. So I wanted to give James some time to, to promote his website and what he has on there. Oh, well, yeah, man,
0: I, I really appreciate that. Um, and, and just a real quick thing on, on that. I saw so many skaters when they lost their, because this was my dream to skate. This is what I always wanted to do. And I got to do it, but then it was taken away from me because of injuries. And then later because the the, the league disbanded and even these, these other leagues that came and went. But um, I, luckily I had always loved drawing and photography as a kid and so it gave me something to 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 go back into because a lot of these people they had no other outlets and when they lost their dream to to skate or just like some of the wrestlers i mean they had ugly ugly endings you know drugs or alcoholism or whatever and you know we had a few few people they they they, they drank themselves to death because because they lost their dream and uh so um yeah it, it's been a uh it's been a um, a fun time It's given me something to do with a distraction. And then I finally got to the point where I go, I want to get better. So I started taking some hyper-realistic courses recently with, with the guy in Germany that's changed, changed my artwork, uh, you know, c- completely. But I figured, you know, um, I was blessed to live out my dream. Unfortunately it came to an, an end, but you know, I, that's my message to other younger people. You know, if you have a dream and it falls apart, you know, Look for something else, you know, when you least expect it, maybe the a door will open of opportunity, but, you know, um, look for something else. Cause if you end up in this ugly spot, like so, so many of the skaters or wrestlers did when they lose their dream, they, they, they become alcoholics or drug issues or, or whatever, you know, it's like, man, you know, find something else and, and enjoy your life. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I appreciate the, uh, that it's 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 been fun. It's kept me busy. <laughs> what what's the name of the website, Jim? Um, well, my my, my main, I, I have on uh, Facebook. I have uh, Jim Fitzpatrick artwork and photography, and and then it also has link, links to, to the other site where, where I sell a lot of my work. But the the interesting thing, real, real story, is there's another guy, exact same name, Jim Fitzpatrick. That's a legendary artist in Ireland. And so we've hooked up and had conversations back and forth. He's the guy that did the uh, the famous Che Guevara uh, artwork and, and everything else. Um, and he, he's done uh, album covers for uh, um, was was it the the band Thin uh, um, Lizzy or whatever. Oh, okay. um, you know, so every now and then people stumble across my stuff and, and I feel honored where they'll compliment me. But they actually think I'm that guy. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, that's the legendary guy from Ireland. I just have the same name.
2: <laughs> hey, and you actually have a book of wrestling pictures, don't you?
0: Yeah, I, I, I actually have several books. Uh, my, my first one was, was a photo book I put together, which I thought was going to close that chapter in my life on roller derby, where I had actually taken a, a bunch of pictures when I was training to skate for the Bombers. And then also prior to that, my collection and things that Ann Carvello had given me before she passed away. And then um, um, I took pictures right before I skated, right out of high school, I, I hooked up with the the promoter Roy Shires Group and I showed some of my, my stuff to them. So they, they hired me on uh, to be a photographer uh, at ringside, which was which was awesome, it was a, it was a cool experience. Uh, unfortunately, Patterson had left the area at that time, but the big feud that was going on was Don Morocco, who had turned heel against uh, Dean Ho, and then also against Moondog Maine, that had turned into into the good guy. And th- those those were some some wild matches. I mean, it, it was it was kind of unsafe at ringside. People were throw, throwing stuff, throwing bottles sometimes. Um, but it, it was, it was cool to be, be right up front, um, you know, taking pictures. So I, I put some in a book called, uh, when I shot good and bad guys who wrestled at the Cal palace. And then, um, it's been, God, it's been probably about 15 years in the making. Um, I tried to put together a whole history on roller derby and all the other leagues and my involvement. And I approached, um, was it ECW press? I guess the one, the one that does all, all the, uh, the wrestling books and out of Canada, and they were really interested and we got into uh, special meetings and conversations and and the guy who does the sports books pitched it to their people. They only did so many books a year. And then they finally opted to pass on it and it came that close, but it was because roller derby had been gone for so long out, out of the eye that, you know, um, they passed on it. So then I finally put together a book on my own and I got Bill Hill, one of the old skaters who actually went on to be a a Dean at the University of North Carolina. He he taught debate and then he became a Dean, very articulate guy. And he helped me, uh, giving me some pointers with the book and I put it together. And then I I, I self-published it through um, um, Barnes and Noble Press. And unfortunately doing that, uh, it's expensive. It's not the most uh, reasonably priced book, but it's basically, it's about 450 pages. It has about, a, I forget how many, uh, over a hundred pages of f- photographs, rare photographs and everything else. And um, I, I put that together and, and sold it. And um, within the first week, it, uh, it made the bestseller list for Barnes and Noble for, um, sports books, roller derby books. Cause there's a lot of girls that have roller derby books out, um, h- history books and, and different, different things. So, <laughs> so that, that, that was kind of the cool thing. And then, um, you know, I used a lot of the collection that Ann Calvella had given me It also went into that.
1: Very nice. Well, Jim, I can't, <clears throat> excuse me. I can't thank you enough for your time. These are, Great stories, and it's something that you know. Roller Derby's uh, we, we've mentioned it before. Benny, you know, he loves to throw in his non wrestling sports references. And I guess with the Yankees being eliminated, baseballs can't talk about that anymore. But
2: I can't leave the, uh, the room,
1: <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> no, this has been great. Um, obviously, you said you know, Jim Fitzpatrick artwork and photography on Facebook. Uh, fine, you have a Fine Art America page, the link of which can be found on Facebook for uh, more of your work, and it's it's great stuff. Uh, ever I mean, and it covers, like you said, it covers everything: wrestling, um, your your photography, the the actual artwork itself. I mean, some of the first images that come up when you look for uh, at your stuff is is the the Lucha Libre masks, the the drawing of of Shemp that you did. It's just. It's all it's all great stuff. And so, yeah, Jim Fitzpatrick, artwork and photography. And you can be found uh, on Fine Art America. So, uh, Jim, again, thank you so much for your time for. Hey, I appreciate
0: it. Go ahead. Man. I, I, I to a lot of your other other, uh, you know, shows and uh, great stuff. Great stuff. I, I, I love listening to,
1: to you know, to, to learning the
0: history, the insides of what, what goes on also in the world of wrestling.
1: That's what we're here for. Like uh, like our tagline says, uh, Celebrate Wrestling's storied past. But for Jim Fitzpatrick, uh, Fine Art America, for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.